the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 249 Premium for Friday, March 12th, 2010. To the podcast. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Durham, New Hampshire. All the way from Fairfield, Connecticut is John F. Braun and also back for a special appearance. Yes. Yeah, after after four and a half years of training, I'm back. <laughs> okay, it only seems like four and a half years. <laughs> Pilot Pete, ladies and gentlemen. Hi, everybody. <laughs> we gotta turn Pete's mic up here. Oh. That's all right. Uh, I Pete, Pete needs it. That'll work. Yeah, Pete, <laughs> Pete gets anywhere near his mic. It'll be all right. Uh, okay, so John, we have uh, we have a lot of cool stuff. Uh, a lot of a lot of good questions to go through today, and uh, and you you actually found on your own a, a cool thing that we'll mention at the end about Quick Look, um, and of course today, uh, mere uh, hours hour and a half ago, uh, at least at the time of this recording. The iPad became available for pre-order. So how many did you order, John? Um, I think that'd be none. Oh, well, what a party pooper you are. I ordered one. I'm ordering mine as we speak. I'm, oh. I'm, let, I'm letting you people debug the thing for me. Oh, John, I'm that's our for... job. <laughs> well, I, we, we'll give you a pass on this one because, you know, of course, you did just upgrade to mail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't no handle mercy. too much change in my life. I know. Once, but, um, I but uh, yeah, pretty much everybody, you know, we, we had a Mac round table earlier this uh, week and uh, I think almost everybody on the call was fretting over, you know, getting their order in immediately and stuff. And I yeah. uh, wonder if we're going to see a bump in the stock because it seems, you know, a lot of people are jumping on the bandwagon. So we'll see well, how the stock does. It, yeah, that'll be interesting, right? I mean, the, the, the stock has already seen a bump from it once they announced the pre-orders, but um it's up already 75 cents today. It's at uh, um, 227. 50. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's up. I think, you know, it's interesting because the sales won't be counted until the next quarter. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, because the iPad doesn't ship until April or it doesn't get delivered until the third of April, which means it'll ship, you know, the probably the first. So, uh, uh, Pete's asking me in our Skype chat here, which is a good discussion to have. Should I get the 64 or the 32? Or, you know, of course, there is the option of the 16. 16. <laughs> so 16 for 499, 32 for 599, or 64 for 699. I think that's right for the Wi Fi models. I-, I went ahead and did the 32. Um, my guess is, uh, and I- I'll say I did the 32 for this round because I know that in uh, at least 12 months, maybe even six, There'll be another model out that uh, that I'll want to get, and because I have the MiFi, I'm not all that concerned about the 3G version. Right. Um. So. So yeah, I went ahead and did the. Uh, I did the 32, right. and I well, did that's order coming the, out later. What are the chances the memory will be scalable though? I mean, we've not none. No, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. No, I mean, it, well, you know, just take a look at your iPhone and how easy it is to upgrade the memory in that. Well, let me do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then you'll have a good idea of uh, how it's yeah. going to be there in the iPad. So. Uh, all right. Should we uh, should we get into the questions here, John? Do we have anything uh, to anything else to add to our? I think we should. Well, well, you got so you did get, but because I did see. So if you want to get, this, so you can get the, uh, the the one without the three G immediately, and I think mm-hmm. the uh, the one with the three G is uh, a couple of weeks later. Stated, you know, later. Yeah, they're saying late the April is what they're saying. Yeah, for that one. So yeah, because a lot of people like you, I think, are going for the MiFi one. 
uh, or doing the the yeah. uh, you know external uh, version, and they're they're uh, foregoing the three G. Yeah. So uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I don't know if I'll 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 miss that or not. I guess I'll uh, I'll let you all know. But uh, but I am looking forward to it. We're we're uh, I, I believe we're we're, we're doing a, a trip to Washington D.C. for uh, the kids' April vacation, and I think we're actually going to take the train down. Um, we looked into flights, and the flights are. There's no flights at good times. Uh, they all stink. And, and the very few that, that would be at semi-workable times are, you know, it's going to cost me, I don't know, like 600 bucks a ticket. Whereas the train, I think, will be down closer to about 300. So I think we're going uh, to do the train. So it'll be interesting to have the iPad on the train and, uh, and see how the family fights over that. So I'm looking forward to that. All right. Uh, should we move on to Connor here? Or start with Connor, I should say, John? Indeed. All right. Hey guys, this is Connor B. Um, since you were able to a- a- answer my uh, last two technical questions, I just have a more theoretical question that doesn't actually make a difference to me right now, but I was just curious. Uh, you had a caller on your last podcast, I think it was Robert Hazelrig, who uh, got a refurb Mac. I have always known that buying a refurb Mac is a fantastic deal. It is. One thing I'm not entirely sure about is whether or not when you get one that was released before, like say if you got a Mac now that was discontinued before Snow Leopard came out, do you get the version of the operating system that would have come on that Mac originally? Or do you get the latest version of the operating system that is available and runs on that Mac? All right. Uh, and, and since I, I can't seem to EQ the quality of that call any better, we're just going to cut you off there, Connor. But uh, but I think we got the question through. So uh, this is interesting. John, you did some research. And, and why don't you why don't you tell us what you found? Uh, and I think we have what what they say. And if you go and you dig into the Apple Certified Refurbished Products page, um, I found a page here, and it explicitly says right here, includes the operating software. I, I assume they mean operating system software originally shipped with the unit and the custom software offered with that system. But it also says, see each products, learn more for more details. Uh, so it seems their official position, at least in this document, is at the very least you will get the discs that the machine shipped with. Uh, but then Dave, you have um, some actual hands-on experience with this, I believe. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and Pete's reporting uh, similar experience to me. Pete, why don't you tell him uh, what you just, because right, you just ordered a refurb. I, I did my refurb. I got, uh, well, let's see. I think it was last August and uh, no, it was September and uh, it came with snow leopard on it. And, but the machine was built uh, pre snow leopard. Okay. Okay, and that's that's been my experience too. All, and and as soon as this question came up, I didn't even bother researching. I just kind of put in the notes or in our agenda. Yeah, I believe it does. I believe there's there's no uh, there's no worry about that uh, at all. And and then John, of course, you found the the Apple's policy. However, I do believe I remember, and we could we could look on the Apple Store to confirm this, but I believe uh, I remember seeing that the machine is listed with an operating system. When you go into the details, uh, just like a new machine would be. Uh, and I've never seen it include anything other than the most recent OS, or at least the most recent OS that would run on that machine. Incidentally, I, I had a question on mine. I was all set to order it online and pulled the trigger. And I had a question and I don't remember specifically what it was, 
but I picked up the phone and I called Apple and I said, you know, I'm looking at this one in the refurb store and here's my question. They answered it. I said, okay, I want the machine. And she goes, I'll have, I'll be happy to place the order and finish it for you right here. So they'll, huh. they'll be more than willing to help you voice live voice as well as just ordering it online. Cool. Cool. Were they able to pull up the order that you had in process? They were actually. That's great. Oh, yeah. wow. That's yeah. huge. So you that's could go huge. through and spec it all out. If, and then if you've got a one specific question, you can call and, and you're not back to square one. Exactly. Oh, that's brilliant. Exactly. It was wow. Nice. Huh. Very cool. Awesome. Good discussion. I like that. All right. Uh, on to David, John. Or do, you have, do we have more for this? I seem to recall that they would offer some sort of reduced price OS upgrade if you did purchase something that was on the edge. And I think it would apply to uh, refurbs as well. Uh, but as you guys are saying, it sounds like they just rather than yeah stick you with the older os it sounds like when they do the refurb they they put the latest one on there for you i think what you're referring to john or what you're remembering is when you buy a machine after you know after snow leopard was introduced but before it shipped you get a coupon for some reduced price upgrade and i believe those coupons also worked with refurbs purchased during that period of time yeah, it was usually like ten bucks or something very yeah. minimal. I think it just covered the cost of the media and the, the yeah, yeah, right. That, so right, okay, cool. That, that's all I got. All right, on to uh, on to David. Hi, Dave and John. David from London in the United Kingdom here. A couple of questions for you regarding the wireless mouse. The low battery warning kicks in at about twenty five percent. I'm using the lithium batteries that run the mouse for weeks and weeks. So twenty five percent is really, really far too soon. Is there any way of changing the threshold to say about 5%? And in Safari, the default search engine is google.com. Now I'm in the UK, so I'd prefer it if the search was google.co.uk. I looked all through the preferences in Safari, but I can't find any way to change this. Now this is where you cut me off. All right. And uh, no, no, you know, I thought the, uh, I thought the audio errors were his, but they are ours. One moment, please. All right. Uh, yeah. So those those uh, despite the fact that I pulled an extra FireWire audio interface off the chain, uh, we are still dealing with the fact that FireWire audio on the Mac, despite the fact that it should be more reliable, uh, it simply is not. And uh, and will likely go ahead and get uh, a USB audio interface to use for the show. As ridiculous as that sounds on paper, that appears to be the solution. So uh, as for a solution for David's issue, um, John, I think for for number one, for the wireless mouse battery warning, you, you've got uh, you've got an idea on this one. Uh, not only an idea, but a solution. And the solution is our pal Better Touch Tool. We will link oh, to this tool. Really? But if you look in Better Touch Tool in their preferences, mouse, general there is a selection, warn if battery level is below, and the default, as, as uh, was pointed out by David, is 25%. Um, it looks to me you can change that to whatever you want, which uh, for him is a good idea because, yeah, those batteries, uh, uh, depending on the type of battery, because if you get rechargeables, those also, you know, the voltage is lower and stuff like that. He has, you know, beefier batteries. So um, anyways, that's it. We'll link to the utility. It does a whole bunch of things, but this is one of the little hidden features that uh, I wasn't aware of until I searched for it. Cool. All right. Well, I, I can take the other one as, as a, for uh, Safari searches. Uh, you can change the default engine. And for that, I use Glimpse. 
which is available at MacHangout.com. Uh, it's a it's a great little Safari add-on, and uh, and I, I I've used it for a long time. Apple's actually put some of Glim's features into Safari, like the uh, the search look ahead and that sort of thing. But uh, but but Glim's is still is still quite valuable, and uh, and you can check it out at MacHangout.com. So, moving on to Michael, John, you got anything mm-hmm. to add here? All right. Let me uh, let me find Michael here. Why can't I find Michael? Oh, you know, is it? Am I just uh, here? We go. All right. Michael writes. Hi guys, I'm about to get a new 27 inch iMac soon. I currently have a 20 inch iMac that I will give to the kids. I'm thinking of using Migration Assistant to move my home folder and my wife's home folder to the new machine. I'm not going to move applications over, but instead reinstall from the web or CD. Also, some applications that are on the 20-inch, I will not put on the new 27. So the question, when I migrate mine and the wife's stuff over, will the supporting files of applications that I will not put on the new iMac also poured over? What would you guys do in my case? All right. Uh, You want to take this one, John, or should I run with it? Uh, I'll I'll start off here. And uh, so I found some... uh um, screenshots of the steps that you take in the migration assistant, uh, and then you can follow up on this. And okay. I think the key is it depends on what you choose. So one of the first screens that you see when you run the migration assistant, uh, step one actually in, in the shot I have here, it says pick users to transfer to this machine. Okay. And it'll show all the users on the machine and uh, you can migrate any of them or none of them. So So that's one choice you can make, but then a subsequent screen, the one that comes up after that, then has a number of choices, one being migrate applications and another being migrate files and folders. So if I'm reading that correctly, depending on which of these items you pick, um, he, he, he can do what he wants. Uh, well, yeah, y- uh, sort of. <laughs> um, it, it, it's... Um if he picks his user folder to migrate over, my experience has been that that migrates the entire user folder over, even if you don't choose to migrate applications, right? Um, right? It, it, it migrates the entire folder, um, which includes the library and the application support and all of that. So I, I think he is going to get um, the, the entire uh, the entire thing and including all those settings. So, so yeah, there will be some cruft out there and potentially some things that will be inherited by apps that, that he then installs uh, going forward on the machine. One thought I had as we were going through this though, John is perhaps the best way to do it. And this sounds a little funky, but perhaps, well, there's, there's two ways to do it. One is just Mike, just copy the documents folder over, right? Don't use migration assistant, just, you know, get the new Mac up and running, create the users and, uh, you know, share the drive over the network and copy the files. Right. Uh, that's one way. The other way would be to migrate everything and then install Hazel. And then as you delete each app that you don't want to use or that you want to reinstall, Hazel's going to pick that up and say, hey, you're throwing away this app. Do you want me to go and throw away all of the supporting files for it? And then it's cleaning it out. Uh, you know, Hazel's not going to be perfect. It's not written by Apple, nor is it written by every application vendor that's out there. So it's up to them to manage that database. But it could 
be a good solution. Uh, but I think just copying the documents folders over would be, uh, would be better. You're, you're not going to get your preferences that way, but maybe you don't want that. Maybe you do. So you got, am I, am I, am I, am I, am I swimming up the wrong stream on this one, John? No, I'm with you. Yeah. So, so if he did choose, yes, I pointed, if he chose the users that, that I agree with you, it, it would bring over all the cruft, including yeah. preferences and library and stuff like that. So, yeah. so probably the best path would be not, yes, not to choose the users to transfer and just, yeah, assuming he, he, uh, you know, exercises, uh, you know, good document storage practices and stores all his documents and documents. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> yes. I did make that assumption. How could you not these days though? I, I mean, and I, I don't say that to, to be demeaning, but, but, but maybe I do. I, I don't know. I mean, seriously, there's, there, it's so easy to just store your stuff in the documents folder. Uh, that, that, that there's really no reason not to. I mean, maybe maybe you've got stuff stored in the home slash Dropbox folder if you're a Dropbox user, but I'll be honest, I don't use that folder. I actually map my Dropbox to a folder inside my documents folder so that I've got all my documents up on the Dropbox, and but they're still in the right place. Um, otherwise, I mean, I, you know, what else would you have? I, well, you know, go ahead. I've seen one thing. Um, some people on both Macs and Windows like to put everything on the desktop. So maybe an additional suggestion is in addition to the documents folder. Yeah, that's true. If that's the way that, you know, anyone in the household or any of the users store their stuff, there's of course an explicit desktop folder yeah. in your, um, in your user directory. Th that's true. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll open that up and say that, that I would copy, uh, documents, music, movies, pictures, desktop, um, and Dropbox if it's there. Yeah. 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 But not library, but not, not library applications. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, and, and really where I was going with my, with my rant there was, was against the people that, that in the past have had the habit of simply storing their documents on the root of the hard drive. Um, and that's just, uh, it, it, well, Back in the OS nine days, you know, when permissions were were not yet part of our Mac world here in in that sense, uh, I saw tons of people that would just store all their they just save them to the hard drive. Well, that's what you were told to do, right? I'm just going to save my documents to the hard drive. It's like, oh man! But when it was time to migrate to a new computer, it was like, oh boy, it's going to be a lot of hours built today finding all your stuff. You know, much better if yep. you keep it in one place. So. And they thought they were keeping it in one place. And to be fair, they were. It was just mm -hmm. one big, messy place. So. All right. Uh, off, to, uh, off to Kenneth, John? Is that, yes. is that where we're going with this? Okay. Kenneth writes, after applying the 10.5.8 update, and that's where we're going with this, right? Yeah. After applying the 10.5.8 update, some subset of my startup items were lost. I re-entered them into my account's login items tab in system preferences. And on subsequent restarts, again, the ones that were added were lost. I trashed the preference file, or at least my best guess as to what I thought the preference file was, which was com.apple.loginitems.plist, and restarted. But the problem continues. This applies not only to programs that were deposited in the account's startup items list, again, under the account's preference pane of system preferences, but also to various pre other preference panes. Some started up again, some didn't, and had to be restarted by going into each preference pane and starting them up. No apparent changes, again, other than the restart I mentioned in number one. But after I had, uh, so, oh, that, sorry. 
I think I think that's where that's where we're that's where we're stopping here. Okay, so uh, here's the here's the thing on this one. I used our one of my new favorite tricks uh, of setting up a spotlight search that shows files modified today inside my library or my library preferences folder. And then I sort them by time modified. Uh, And this search is a live search. It will self update as files are updated. So I set that up first. I had that open in a window. Then I opened up startup items. uh, Sorry. I, I opened up system preferences, login uh, accounts, and then went to login items. And I edited the list there. And immediately I saw a file jump to the top of the list, but it wasn't what I thought it was. Uh, I would have agreed with Kenneth that com.apple.loginitems.plist would track, as you might imagine, the login items, but I would have been wrong. It's in home library preferences login window.plist. No com, no dot apple uh, that I could find. It was just login window.plist. And that's where all this stuff was stored. So, my guess is that there's a permissions issue or perhaps some file corruption on that file and either repairing permissions or as Kenneth did, uh, it looks like I looked at the contents of it, which you can open in plist editor or BB edit or, um, or uh, a text wrangler. And, and it, it seemed like that's all that was in there. So you, you know, you could blow that file away and, uh, and try it again. My guess is that's going to solve it for you. I, I'm, I'm just guessing that the system could not write to that file. So, so that, that was, that was my, uh, my thought on that. I have not heard back from Kenneth. I don't believe on this one. So any thoughts on this, John? Um, you know, that's very unusual because I, I've never seen a situation where things just disappear. So one preference, I, I'd be very curious. Well, this so wasn't probably- random. Right. I mean, it, it was he would put something in there and then when he rebooted, it was gone. Yeah. So. um, Yeah, I mean, the only weird behavior I've seen is that sometimes in the uh, login items, uh, you'll you'll see some an item come up saying unknown, which indicates that someone's gotten rid of the application. But that, sure. that's not happening. Yep. Yep. Um, I want to be careful, though, in the terminology here, because the, there is something called startup items, which is not this and I, I've seen some kind of weird that I, I looked at my system and I think there's one in library startup items. Yeah, that's right. Um, yep. And home library startup items. There's, there's two of those folders. Yeah. Yeah. And, and actually I saw some of those are things that I haven't used for a while. So that looks like some cruft I may want to uh, get rid of being very careful, but, but I just want to be, uh, uh, be clear with the terminology because at least the OS 10 startup item means uh, something different here. Yeah. I think the startup items folder uh, was, I don't know if it's deprecated or not, to be honest. I, I, and by that, I mean, I, I don't know if there's, if it's still considered to be used by Apple or not on, on the machine that I'm on right now, there is nothing in my library startup items on the root of my drive, nor in my home library startup items folder. But, um, but I, I have seen things out there and, and it is a good place to look, especially if you've upgraded from, various older versions of, of Mac OS 10 up through whatever you're on now. So, yeah, I've gotten a couple of current things in there, so it's still being used by some people. Okay. Um, okay. And I don't know if it's launch D or somebody links to the stuff in there. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I think, I, that. I think, and, and, the, and the folder that we're talking about to be clear and or confirm for me, John, if, if it's the same for you, but, but it is startup items, capital S capital I, but no space in between startup and items. Is that right? Yes. Okay. That's correct. 
Okay, so I think anything that you put in there will launch when the system starts up. I I I think that I think Mac OS 10 still honors whatever's in there. I just don't see the OS itself putting anything out there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, very interesting. All right, uh, along with the uh, along with this, Stephen has uh, something similar. I think you're gonna play his. There we go. Hi guys, it's Stephen from Ottawa calling. Um, just have a little problem with the login items on my Mac. Uh, this actually has happened on both my iMac and my MacBook. Uh, my MacBook. Um, they're both running Snow Leopard, and what ends up, what happens is after I log in, um, all of the, or all or most of my startup items uh, or login items are missing. Um, so I go into system preferences and they're not, they're not there. Uh, so I basically, I've had to manually add everything back. Now it's sometimes it's nice to clear out some of the, some of the cruft or whatever, but, um, it does mean you suddenly lose some functionality if, uh, if an app that you use, uh, installs a little helper application to, uh, to do various things. Um, so I was just wondering why this would happen and, uh, if there's any way to stop it and if there's any way to, uh, recover, uh, recover from it. Um, I have a time machine backup, but I'm not sure which, uh, like a, there's probably a plist file, but I don't know which one governs that. Uh, so, you know, I could do a restore on that, I suppose, but, uh, not try to do that. Um, so any help with that would be appreciated. Uh, this is where you cut me off. Yeah. Okay. So we know what file to look at, right? Com. Uh, sorry, not com. Home library preferences login window dot plist. And from there, you know, the the first thing I would do, especially in your case, Stephen, where you're trying to recover what used to be out there, if possible, would be to look at that file. Uh, and again, plist editor and is plist editor only installed part of the developer tools, John? Is that right? Uh, for what I've seen, yeah, property list editor, those you pointed out, um, BB edit is, though BB edit shows it to you pretty much in the raw kind of nastiness. No, no, um, no, 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 it doesn't. P- P- BB edit will read binary plist files as will text wrangler and, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and it will show them to you in a, in a text form in an XML form. So yeah, it's, it's raw, but it's not binary, right? Right. You're, you're correct. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're, but you're right. P- property list editor has a has a UI that's built for this. And where is properly list uh, property list editor? Is it, is it installed with the developer tools? Is that, is that where it lives, John? Uh, uh, let's see here. It's coming up top hit. And I'm pretty sure it's developer app, developer slash application slash utilities. Okay. So in order to get property list editor, you have to install the free uh, developer tools. There is also a shareware app, I believe called P list editor, uh, so there, there's various ways of looking at these. Um, once you get them, once you get the file open, take a look and see. And in your case, Stephen, the, the active file might very well be empty, um, but it might also be somewhat corrupted. And at least you can see what was out there when you're looking at this. You'll see the name of the file and it's going to be in sort of a hierarchical format, but you'll see the name of the file and then you'll also see the path to it. So it might be, you know, slash applications slash your app name dot app slash content slash Mac OS slash, you know, startup item. So uh, either write that down 
or take a screenshot using, uh, you know, command shift three, you'll take a screenshot of the whole screen or command shift four will allow you to draw a little box. It'll give you a crosshair and you draw a box. And as soon as you release that mouse, uh, it will take a screenshot of the area you just defined and save it uh, to your desktop. So, uh, so take screenshots of that. And then when you're going to go, you know, you, then, then I would say once you figure out what was out there, if you can see it, then delete that file, uh, reboot to have it recreate a new one. And then off you go. So it could also be a permissions problem with that file. Right, John. Um, and then that's also the file you'd pull off your, off your time machine backup. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what else to do. Is there, is there any, anything that'll repair these John that you know of plist files? Well, one thing I'm looking at here, Dave, I'm a bit confused because I see the two different files. The, uh, the, the one that you mentioned, login items or, or login uh, window. Login window, yeah. Dot plist. Then I see login items dot plist. When I look at my login items dot plist, that is the file that explicitly points out all of my startup items. Really? Or at least a portion of them. Well, I'm looking right now. And if I open up com.apple.loginitems.plist, um, yep. one file, which is in my home directory, has 16 items. And then the one that's in the system directory has an additional four items. And if I, if I go in property list editor and I click on the little triangle, it will, the, 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 there's a, yeah, so it's root branch list, custom list items. You dig down a bit and actually I'm seeing names of thing. Mira, RCD, HP product research. Oh, well, that garbage that HP throws in there. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but I hit either one of those files. I mean, it, 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 interesting. It, it, it does bother me that things, I mean, things don't, I mean, this is like X-Files. Things don't disappear. No. Um, <laughs> I, I'm concerned that, that things uh, in both of these cases seem to go away with the, uh, on a whim. And, and perhaps a thing to do is now you should be able to, if, if you do a, a time machine, you should be able to go to an earlier version. I'm wondering what, if any items are disappearing and I'm, I'm still kind of at a loss here. So, okay. I mean, yeah. This is this is bizarre. I'm I'm with you, John, because login items.plist and login window.plist both have uh, different items. In fact, it seems like login window.plist is a subset of com.apple.login items. So perhaps we've got to look at both of these files. Um, the odd thing for me was, and I tested this a couple of times because I thought it was very strange that login items.plist wasn't being affected when I was editing my login items tab in system preferences, right? I mean, it would, you know, stand to reason, but, uh, mm -hmm. but it was not, it would, you know, it, it definitely uh, in looking at the, you know, the, the list of found files, the one that was being updated was login window plist, no com, not Apple. Now there is a com dot Apple dot login window dot plist in your home folder in preferences, but that's a, that's a different file that actually sets some other options. Um, yeah, very, very strange. Uh, so, yeah, I would if you've got corruption, either repair or delete and restore or delete and create new versions of both of those files. Man, that's weird. I wonder if there's a subtle, you know, interaction between the two of them where they get out of sync or something. I don't see any sort of repair option. <laughs> no, I uh, at least not at a quick look here, at least in, in the, in the Apple property list editor. So. Yeah, man, this is bizarre. Hmm. 
A mystery. All right. Well, maybe somebody out there knows. Uh, Pete, you have the magic answer? I got nothing. <laughs> but it's great to have you here. Yeah. All right. It's good to be here. Yeah. All right. Uh, is it time to move on to Bush, John? Indeed. Okay. I learned something here. Okay, cool. Uh, so Bush writes, uh, after listening to you guys praise SSDs on many a show, I finally broke down and picked one up the other day. All I can say is, wow, it was worth every one of the 60,000 red cents I gave for it. I have since taken the internal spinner that was in the MacBook and put it in an external enclosure, which super duper uses uh, to clone my SSD every morning at 3 a.m. The problem is that every morning at 5 a.m. when I get downstairs, Spotlight is indexing the freshly formatted drive as it removed as it has been removed from the exclude list when super duper formats it. Any chance you guys know of a trick or a script to auto include the newly formatted hard drive from Spotlight? Should I just use the smart update feature instead of erase and copy in super duper? So the first thing, just to give this some context for those of you that aren't aware, uh, if you have uh, a drive or a folder that you don't want spotlight to index, what you do is you go into system preferences, you go into spotlight, you go to privacy and you either drag the folder or drive in there or hit the little plus button, navigate to it and choose it. And then that will tell Spotlight, do not index this volume, right? Um, the, the important thing, I think, to remember here, though, is what happens when you do that. It, it runs a command called mdutil, uh, which is a terminal command, and it goes and tells the volume uh, don't, in, don't be indexed with Spotlight. So this is a setting that's, state, that's saved on the volume. Do you have anything to add here, John, as we're, as we're kind of rambling through this? Uh, that's the thing I learned from you because I have done this with carbon copy cloner. Apparently I just use the correct method. Uh, one thing is I would give, you know, the uh, backup drive a different name. I wouldn't give mm. it the same name. I'd call it like backup of John's hard drive. Right. Uh, I never ran into this. So I, I, I was questioning this, but until you, uh, you, you showed me the light and explained to me why I wasn't running into this problem in that. Yes. So it stores that configuration on the drive, which if it's reformatted, well, it goes by, I thought it was being stored somewhere else. Right. Yeah. It's not something. And, and this is important to know if you tell a drive, do not be indexed by spotlight an external drive and then plug it into another Mac. It's not going to be indexed there either. Um, that that there is a there is a file saved to, a hidden file saved to the drive uh, by MDUtil, which is the Spotlight controller that uh, that that sets this. So uh, so what's happening is, of course, uh, Bush's main drive does have his SSD drive. He does want Spotlight on, and when he clones that SSD drive to another drive, well, it inherits it. it it's a clone, right? Uh, other than the name, which uh, you can keep separate, it basically is the other drive, which includes the magic little file that says, hey, Spotlight, index me. And that's bad. So, uh, and, and the command, if you want to do it from the command line, it's mdutil space dash i space off, and then the path to the drive, which would be slash volume slash drive name. And of course, if you want to turn it on, you just change the off to an on. But of course, you can manage all of this from the privacy tab in spotlight system preferences but you don't want to manage this every day bush and i don't blame you and you uh, had your own answer there i i too do i do exactly the same thing that you're doing here bush i i have my uh, main drive which is an ssd cloned to a spindle drive every day 
but and I use Super Duper, but I do use their smart update feature instead of erasing copy. And one thing that I have seen uh, in Super Duper smart update is as it goes through before it clones the drive, it has a little line item that says uh, saving spotlight stat, you know, state of drive. And then after the clone, it's it says restoring spotlight state or preserving spotlight state. So it actually goes back and alters this. Now, uh, the difference uh, with super duper anyway, which is a great little app. I, 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 you know, it's one of those things I use every day. I don't think about it and I, I couldn't live without it. I I'd need something else to take its place. If, uh, if I wasn't using it, erase and copy does exactly what you're talking about, where it formats the drive, and then puts a fresh install of or a fresh clone or copy of whatever it is you've told to put on there. It also has a smart update feature, which in the end does everything that an erasing copy does, except uh, it doesn't erase and copy. It looks at what's out there and says, hey, uh, that file's the same as what's over here. I don't need to refresh that. So it only updates the changes. Uh, but in the end, you are left with a clone. Of course, in this case, Super duper smart enough to then go through and preserve your spotlight status. So, uh, so yes, I, I highly recommend it. Not only will it be faster, but it will achieve the results that you're looking for. So, and, and, and that is better for the drive. You don't, I mean, you don't want to hammer the drive any more than, than you need to. So, uh, so that's, that's my thought on it. Now you do the same thing with carbon copy cloner, John, is that right? You do a daily backup kind of thing or, uh, not daily. I, I let, um, I let a time, uh, time machine take care of that okay but okay. Like a lot of times before i leave for a trip for example if i go on a trip where uh, you know there's a, a risk of the machine exploding or something i'll do a so i don't do a carbon because you know it takes a while so so i don't do that as often as uh, i mean the time machine thing i run uh, i actually customize it with the uh, time machine editor yep so it's not running every every hour which i think <laughs> is excessive i believe so but um, yeah, I do the same thing, carbon couple cloner, and, and again, I've never run into this because I guess I select the mode that does not reformat the drive. It just uh, pretty much does the equivalent, I guess, of a smart yeah. update. I think it, I think it's doing the same thing. So yeah, and 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 just to, while we're on the subject, the semi tangent of backup strategies, I too uh, also use Time Machine. Uh, I have it customized on my various machines. Uh, I use Time Machine Editor, just like you, to uh, to set it not to update every hour, but you know, I think I think. On my main machine, it's maybe every four hours, and then on the others, I might be eight or twelve because I just don't need that that you know immediacy. But uh, the reason I do the clone uh, daily, in addition to the spotlight backup, is so that at any moment in time, if my hard drive or in fact my entire Mac goes south, I can take this external drive that I have, plug it into any of the other Macs in my house. And be back up and running at exactly the point that I was, you know, no more than 24 hours ago and usually a whole lot less than that because I'm doing it once a day. So so that's the reason it's so that I can be immediately back up and running in in some state where I can live. Um, and because I manage my mail with IMAP and my documents with Dropbox, those are saved out to the cloud immediately. You know, those changes are always reflected as long as I'm online. So as soon as I boot from this other drive, it's updated from Dropbox. It's updated from IMAP. And, and I'm, you know, there, there's very little that's not in sync now, you know, maybe some app preferences or something, but, uh, but I could certainly live without that. So that's, that's where my, uh, that, that, there you go. My backup strategy in, uh, in a nutshell without, uh, without having planned it. <laughs> Anything to add there, John, before we, uh, 
before we go. No, I like it. That's a good, uh, you know, uh, asking more. Yeah. You have a backup for your backup. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I I don't want the headache of having to restore from a time machine volume. Right. I mean, that's going to be a several hour affair. If I've got a, if your, if your hard drive dies and you want to restore from time machine, it's doable. Apple makes it very easy, but the first thing you got to do is find a new Mac you got to find a hard drive and you got to boot from the system DVD. You know, if you want to truly restore to exactly what you had before and then, t- and then using the, the system DVD, say, I want to restore from a time machine backup and then off you go and it, you know, clones off to the other drive, but that's going to take hours uh, depending on the speed of the drive and how much data you had. So I'm not, uh, I'm not interested in that. I'm impatient. Mm-hmm. Um, time is money. Mime is money. No, no Spinal Tap fans here. Somebody out there got it. Uh, speaking of mail, let's let's uh, let's dive into something that that might that might get us in trouble here because I'm not sure I have exactly the answer, but uh, we try to help. So, Jared. Hey guys, this is Jared in uh, Monterey, California. I was just listening to uh, show number 248 and uh, the conversation you guys were having about Gmail and IMAP. And uh, this is a, a topic that has been of much frustration for me in using Apple Mail. But that's not why I'm, uh, why I'm calling. I'm, I'm calling to actually ask you guys about the Apple Mail to-do folder that appears on my MobileMe account on the iPhone. For the life of me, I cannot figure out how to get rid of that. I don't use Apple Mail for any to-dos. I've never set up any Apple Mail to-dos. And uh, that folder doesn't show up in Mail.app on my MacBook, but it's certainly there in the MobileMe account. It doesn't appear uh, in the MobileMe web interface, and I would sure love to get rid of it off my iPhone. If you guys have any clue at all, please let me know. Here's where you cut me off. All right, thanks, Jared. And and I know your your name is one letter off from uh, Jared Reddick of uh, of Bowling for Soup. But man, when I hear your voice, I think exactly of him. You sound exactly like him when he talks. Uh, just as an aside, I don't know where I'm going with that, John. Um, so there is this folder out there, and uh, it will be created on mobile me mail, and it'll be created on other IMAP mail if. Apple mail feels it has reason to do so. Uh, It does it all on its own and without any prompting from the user. I have been able to avoid this. And I believe that the settings that contributed to that are one or both of the following Uh, in composing. So you go into mail preferences uh, and in composing, you choose uh, the create notes and to do's in and I put on my Mac. Um, if you have it set to one or, or one of your IMAP accounts, then you've got a better chance of it creating that Apple Mail to do folder out there. The other thing that I have done, and I think this is related, but hey, what do I know? Uh, is in accounts, if you go to account details, there's a uh, you pick the account you want and you go to the second tab and, and there you, you've got all the mailboxes and what you can do with them. Drafts, you know, store drafts on the server, store sent messages on the server, store, store trash on the server. Uh, and another option that says store notes on the server. I uncheck that and, uh, and, and as good measure, I uncheck drafts because mail doesn't manage drafts on the server well at all. And it'll duplicate them as I've mentioned many times. So 
Uh, but I believe that that the first one of those sto- disabling notes from the server also uh, has helped in this regard. As far as deleting it, that gets a little tricky. Uh, I think once you've unchecked that box, unchecked the uh, or once you've once you've set uh, create notes and to do's on my Mac and then uncheck that notes box, uh, I think the Apple Mail to do folder will show up in Apple Mail under your list of uh, folders and then you can delete from there. You'll see it on the iPhone, but you can't delete or create. I don't think folders uh, from the iPhone mail interface. If that doesn't do it, if mail that app still masks it. Uh, then you're going to need another IMAP client to go in and do this. And I think you can uh, do it with Thunderbird. So launch Thunderbird, connect to your IMAPs, IMAP server, and then uh, and you should see the Apple Mail to-do folder, and you should be able to delete it from there. And hopefully uh, it won't come back. So any other uh, any thoughts on that, John? Interesting. Now, actually, I had a bunch of to-dos show up. So when I migrated over to Apple Mail and where I do see them and I do see the opportunity to create some, though I'm with you that I think the uh, interface is a bit lopsided depending on what device you're using. So I actually used to use a Palm and I used to use that for, uh, you know, for tasks. And when I, um, and I still had remnants of my Palm on one of my machines because when I looked under to-do, there was like years worth of to-dos, which the Palm, you know, as you recall, had a to-do facility and you would list the task, the end date, you would check it off when you're done. And apparently all of that cruft got brought over. And actually now if I look in mail, um, not under mailboxes, but under reminders, right. there's two categories. One is notes and the other is to-dos. There's nothing there right now, I think. And I see actually there's an opportunity if you highlight in your mailboxes an IMAP account in the file menu, all of a sudden it appears new to do. Um, right. I don't have any right now. And um, actually, yeah, as I mentioned, I, I got rid of all of them because that they were they were old and I really don't use that facility anymore. So, so. here's here's something interesting um, the to do's in mail. All it's doing is looking at the calendar store on your computer, which is also where iCal uh, it stores its to do. So you're seeing when you look at that, that big long list of to do's or completed to do's uh, that mail shows you, it's a terrible interface. I agree. Uh, but what it's showing you is a history of all your to do's that are stored in iCal by deleting them from mail. You have effectively deleted them from iCal as well. So just be, be aware that that that's where they were. I think Palm or whatever you were using to sync with Palm uh, it finally made its way to saving them in iCal. And then of course you saw them when you, when you started using Apple mail, it was actually, I sync at one yeah, point, had that's a right. plug in and it, and it, it decided to toss them in there. And the, the other thing I noticed when I migrated over to mail yep. is that by default, and I think you suggested on checking this, I saw my notes, which I maintain on my iPod touch for the most part, little, you know, reminders and stuff. Yeah. Saw it in my inbox, which I didn't like that at all. I'm like, why is this appearing in my inbox? Those, yeah. That's not mail. It's, it's, it's a separate category. Maybe some people like that. I, I, I didn't really I, like it. Them putting it in my inbox. You know, uh, it, and, and I, I say this because I firmly believe that, that all of these product decisions uh, or changes are dictated by how Steve Jobs uses his computer. Right. And and uh, as we've seen, no, no changes will happen uh, to Apple products uh, that Steve uses without him uh, blessing that change. So, uh, you know, if I had a moment to sit down with jobs, what I'd want to do and and this is just, you know, if I had my moment, uh, I wouldn't want to ask him questions. I wouldn't want to interview him about, you know, the strategy and all that. Plenty of people have done that. What I would want to do is sit down with him in front of his main Mac and say, go. 
Show me how you organize your day. How do you use mail and what do you use it for? And how do you integrate notes or to do's in there? Because I think that interface sucks and I can't believe he doesn't think that. Right. And also let's uh, fire up iCal for a moment, shall we? And uh, show me how you manage your life in this piece of crap that you guys call a calendar software. Uh, because I really would like to see how he uses it. Right. Because, because I have to believe that you can't, I mean, anybody with a, a, a busy schedule, maybe his schedule's not that busy. Maybe he's a, a, a master delegator and he has nothing on his schedule all day other than maybe one or two things. And he has no to do's because he's delegated all that out. And, uh, and so maybe, maybe he doesn't use that functionality and therefore it sucks and, and is just kind of gone uh, by his radar. But knowing the control freak that he is, I can't believe he uses that functionality and has let it uh, go on that long. So anyway, that's my that's my little rant. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to that meeting that you're going to have with him. Uh, hey, uh, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll email him and see if he wants to uh, sit down next time I'm out in San Francisco, and, and we'll, we'll we'll spend twenty well, minutes going through. I that. think he is. Maybe so. he should come here. Mm. Yeah. You know, you're he, a busy man. I am a busy man. I got stuff to do, <laughs> and apparently he's not if he's uh, if he's able to manage his schedule with iCal. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's that's how the email will go. Uh, since it's clear you're not busy based on the fact that you're managing your schedule with iCal and it is incompetent uh, at managing anything more than just one or two events per day. I'd like to request that you fly out here uh, next Tuesday. And uh, actually, next Tuesday won't work for me because I'm in Austin. So he's going to put that in iCal and get right on it. I'm certain. That's right. Well, you know, he can use the little data detectors thing, and he'll put it. I'll put it right there. I'll, I'll put a time and a date, and he can uh, he can do that. I'll send him that note. We'll see what he says. Um, he does reply to his email. He reads all his own email. Uh, on the you know on the occasion or two per year that I have to email him, it's uh, I get a quick response. And, and that email address is. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's not Steve. I, I'm. It's it's very public. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it here, but it's 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 uh, there's plenty of places you could find it on the web. Uh, mm -hmm. I actually I'll, I'll say it. It's fine. It's sjobs at apple dot com, uh, and that gets straight to him. And uh, and there you go. You know, but uh, but he is he 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 will reply to his email or forward it off or or deal with it immediately. Uh, usually, the response comes within about ten or fifteen minutes. So, uh, I rec recommend you not pester him. But uh, that's between you and him. I don't really care. Okay, uh, moving along. I recommend you don't pester anybody. You know, probably put me at the top of that list. Uh, you know, send me the stuff that you want to send me, but don't pester me. And uh, John too, Pete, all of us, right? You know. We're, we're not going to pester you. You're not going to pester us. Where's this going, John? Is it time to go to? Oh, hey, you've got something cool. Uh, speaking of frustrations with Apple's implementation of their own technology, you have a solution. Uh, can I describe the problem, John? Because I've I've lived with this before. And correct me if I'm I'm wrong. Can I describe yeah. the problem? So I, yeah. So I never had the problem, but it came up on on Twitter last night, and um and and actually it's not something that ever uh, I don't really I didn't really. I don't really use this feature of uh, OS 10 that often, but it seems you do. So, uh, so go we'll, for it. we'll stop being mysterious here. Okay. Uh, in, I believe leopard and later, uh, Apple has implemented this quick look technology, which lets you, uh, go to in the finder or in mail or in, uh, various other pieces of software, uh, that, that, uh, support this, you highlight a document and you hit the space bar and then it shows you, uh, in the finder without launching it. So let's say you highlight a, a, a pages document 
and you hit the space bar, boom, it shows you the contents of that. It shows you the contents of a PDF. It'll show you a picture. If it's an audio file, it'll start playing it. If it's a movie, it'll start playing it. And it happens right there in the finder. Very, very handy. The frustration that comes, and I love it, uh, and this is part of why it gets frustrating here, is that if I, let's say I open a PDF and I've got it up in Quick Look, and now I open up my mail, right? I open up a PDF in the finder. I, I click on my mail window and now I want to, you know, type something that references this. So I want to see them both at the same time. As soon as you switch apps, boom, quick look goes away. And But when you come back to the finder, boom, comes back up. It's like, you know, I want that Just show me that. Right. And so, uh, you know, I either have to open the file or take a screenshot of the quick look. And it's like, hey, but guys, just show it to me. So, John, you may have the magic answer. I do have the magic answer. So, so first I misunderstood the, 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 the problem because someone said, well, it disappears when I switch apps. I thought he meant like it closes the window and it never comes back again. So I, you know, did a quick look in Finder, did one in Mail. And when I switched between the, the, the apps, it would show me the quick look when I was in that app. Correct. No, what, what, what the person wanted to do was I believe they were entering spreadsheet information and numbers and they yeah. wanted a quick look from another application. And so I verified that, yeah, this is kind of you know, it doesn't work the way some people want it to work. And then I started geeking out and I'm like, there has to be a way, there has to be some way, you know, so I was looking at P list files and all this stuff here, but then I eventually found it. So this is a piece of software. It's actually pref pain that, um, that had the answer. I know it's doing something underneath the covers. I don't know exactly what, but it's called secrets. And if you go to code.google.com slash P is in Peter slash black tree dash secrets. And this is a pref pain. They have a category. Um, this is excellent software, though. Be warned. I mean, this is this is this is messing at the very lowest level with stuff in the OS that you may. But I didn't find any downside here. But I found an option: Finder, Quick Look, and then there was a Hide Quick Look on Deactivation or Application Switch checkbox, and oh, it was checked. Of course. So this is the default behavior. Um, I unchecked it and then it worked as this individual wanted it to. So I did a little geek dance and I'm like, oh, wow, I actually, you know, uh, so, ha you know, hats off to the secrets folks because they're, they're the ones or, or though I, I think they're kind of a community thing is that people will submit it because it wasn't there initially. But when I clicked on an update button, I guess it downloads from their database, the latest secrets. So this is one that um, I think is fairly recent. I don't know if it's uh, in the latest version of uh, if it was, you know, 10, the latest version of the OS or what. But anyways. There is a way to influence this behavior by using secrets. Oh, interesting. I wonder what the terminal command is for that. You know, it's there's a terminal command for this, right? You know, one of those defaults, comma, yes. you know, whatever. And I, I looked quick here and uh, and I can't find it, but uh, but there's got to be one. And, and that's awesome. So I'm going to I'm going to because I, I, I get scared of that secrets thing. It, it uh, and I know it doesn't by installing it. And doing nothing else, it doesn't do anything on its own, right? So I could install it and just do that, uh, and and I probably will. But uh, but I would love to find the terminal command uh, for that because then I could just do that terminal command and be uh, totally safe and undo it if uh, if there's some issue, even if I don't have secrets installed. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to use that, John, as a perfect, brilliant segue into uh, the next thing that uh the last thing i guess this shows this show's getting long in the tooth here um that we want to talk about here and uh and it has to do with terminal commands chuck writes 
I've been listening to your podcast for about two years now. Uh, really, okay. Uh, my dilemma. I use mail tags extensively in my daily workflow. And as you know, Snow Leopard and mail tags don't always get along so well. Mail tags default setting for project filtering is case sensitive. Drives me nuts. An indev, which is the company that makes mail tag support rep, sent me the following email with a solution involving terminal. I'm chicken. Can you guide me or direct me to a resource that would tell me exactly how to do this? And I looked at the solution uh, and re and it's exactly what we were talking about uh, previously here. You'll you'll look for something, you know, bear with me here. You'll you'll have some issue. Uh, you want to disable uh, quick look from going away or you want to change some behavior of, of software and you'll find on the web or someone will point you to and say, ah, you need to write this terminal command and it'll be something like defaults, write ca.indev.mailtags, perform case insensitive comparisons one. And they'll say, oh, just go enter that into the terminal and uh, it'll fix your problem. And if you're comfortable with the terminal, you say, great. And you do that and it fixes your problem, uh, hopefully. But in Chuck's case, he's never used the terminal before. And my guess is that we have lots of uh, listeners here that uh, prefer not to, to delve in there. But there are some times when you have to. Uh, sometimes when there is no secrets pref pane to uh, to keep you from having to muck with the terminal. So I, I wanted to just talk a little bit, John, here about uh, about what to do in those cases. We're not, you know, this this little segment here isn't built to to make you a terminal ninja. It's built to say, okay, look, when you when you see the instructions, what are you supposed to do? So in Chuck's case, uh, what you do is you open the terminal, and then you have one of two things you can do. Uh, you get a little terminal prompt, and it just sits there and does nothing. You can type uh, out the command by saying defaults, write, etc., etc., uh, or you can simply copy it from the web page or email that you're using and paste it in. Um, and then once you paste it, these defaults commands, and this is probably the most common thing that you're going to use in the terminal if you're not a terminal user. Uh, is you're going to use these defaults commands to change some setting or some behavior that you want to use. When you press enter, you're just going to get another prompt. There is no fanfare. There is no confirmation of any of this. It's simply boom, that's it. And you're done. And in Chuck's case, that's all you do. You hit enter and then you close the terminal window and, uh, and, and then in theory, launch your, um, launch your mail tags, you know, and, or, or mail and, and see what the, the setting is. So, uh, so John, you, you, you've got some other stuff to add to this and I want to kind of go back and forth with it, but that's, that's the beginning of this is you simply do that. So, okay. I, I don't know if you touched on it. I didn't want to interrupt, but, um, uh, I don't know if you covered how to launch the terminal. Ah, yes. Yeah. You could have interrupted with that. That's always a good question. Well, again, I, I want to make sure we have a good flow going on. How here. do you launch um, the terminal? <laughs> thanks Pete. Well, well, I've seen it. Thank you, Pete. Yeah. So, um, I, I would go into application. Uh, utilities, or I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, that's right. Um, and within there, so, so there are two ways of doing it. So one, you can go into applications, utilities, and there's terminal. The, the other way, the handier way, which I, I typically use, is uh, Spotlight. Right. If you do Spotlight, and I use this also to launch the console. I'm not going to go digging around, and I don't want to put a shortcut on my desktop. So anyways, just first thing. So so that launches your uh, terminal. And um and then I think there are a couple of handy little uh, shortcuts that uh, will, will serve you well when you are messing in the terminal. So one, of course, you can just start typing stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, oh, I'm start getting, typing I'm the getting, things you're supposed to type, not just random no. stuff. Gotcha. Okay. 
Well, you could type random stuff, but typically it's going to yell at you. And uh, yeah, don't type random stuff in the terminal. You never know. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, with the with the, you know, some Unix commands get kind of cryptic with all sorts of characters. So yeah, don't don't just type random stuff. Right. But but a few features that you may want to make yourself aware of. So one that I found probably the handiest is if you're going to use a command that involves a path to a file. Here's a nice thing: if you start typing a command and then perhaps it involves a path to a file, if you type the first few characters, and you got to make sure you start at the right place. So typically you may want to do a slash or it, it depends on if you're in the directory already. If you type the first few characters of the directory or file and then you hit tab, if there's something in that directory that you're currently in that's unique, um, unique enough to what you typed in the first few characters, then tab will do an autocomplete. I find that really speeds things up for me. So just uh, for example, if you were uh, going to edit some file in your documents folder and you were when when you start terminal you're in your home folder uh typically unless you've changed right. it and if you've changed it then you know what we're going to tell you here but uh but you're in your home folder so what you could do is if you're if you're typing something that has to go to your documents folder you could type d and then o and then hit tab and it's going to fill out the rest of the word documents with a slash because it's a folder and get you ready for the next thing that you're going to type. So it saves you those characters. Yeah, it's case sensitive, though. Yes, thank you. Like yes. I typed in D, uh, small do and it, and it beeped at me when I hit tab because there's nothing. So you got to keep in mind. But if you type in, yeah, so I typed in capital do and then I hit tab and it, it auto completed the documents. So, um, so that's something to speed you up. Uh, another thing that's not immediately obvious is that. So if you execute a couple of different commands, and I believe if you're in the same terminal session, I think the go, this goes away once you quit, but um, the up arrow will do a, uh, the, the, the terminal maintains a history of commands that were executed in the past. So for, if, for forever, if for whatever reason, you either want to do a flashback and see what, what commands you have executed um, or want to repeat one for some reason, if you use the up arrow, it'll go back in time uh, to the ones. Uh, again, I think it's only for the current session, Dave. I think once you quit terminal, that that disappears. It, it depends. Again, it depends on your settings. I, you may be right that the default uh, does not save that history. But if you set it to save the history, and again, that goes beyond the, the focus of this little tidbit here. Uh, you can have it save your commands be, between sessions and, oh. and all of that stuff. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. One last thing. If you do want to retain what you've typed in, because once you close the window, it's all pretty much gone in the uh, shell menu in terminal is export text as that will save your entire terminal session to a text file. So you can uh, come back and revisit it. If you uh, don't quite remember what you did, that that could be good for support purposes or just as a postmortem. If you screw everything up, you can look <laughs> and see what you did to, to destroy everything. How, how you got there. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, one other thing that, that you mentioned in our in our pre-show, John, that I wanted to make sure we talked about was there are some times when you will see, you know, a command, you'll go to a website or get an email from support that says go type the following. And the first four characters of what you're going to type are S-U-D-O in lowercase. After you type whatever that big, long command is, you're going to be prompted with a, 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 a prompt asking for your password. Uh, and that's your user account password. And the reason is that SUDO command means I want to run this command as the administrator of the computer. And I want full privileges applied to the command that I'm about to type by entering your password correctly. You have now given that permission and the command is immediately 
uh, upon successfully entering your password immediately executed with full permissions. So, so that's, what's going on with that. The first time you type sudo, you'll get a little warning that tells you exactly what this is. And then after that, uh, you don't get any warning at all. You just get asked for your password. Yeah. And I've usually seen that you usually need to do that is if you try to do something and typically you'll get a message like permission denied. Yeah. Um, in which case you may want to be careful because usually things are protected for a reason. So sometimes you may have to do pseudo to do something that, you know, people wouldn't normally do. Right. But, um, but that, that's uh, more often, uh, the, mostly when I see permission denied, um, that's when I have to remember to type pseudo. And, uh, and then as you pointed out, it, it caches the, uh, or, or it won't ask for the password again. It'll, it'll, uh, the next time you do pseudo, it'll just, uh, blast away. Yeah. There you go. All right. Cool. Uh, I think uh, I think it's time to see if we can invite the band in without them uh, causing us any firewire-related woes. Seems like we're all right there. Uh, as far as contacting us, my guess is because you're all premium subscribers, you know how to do it. But repetition is uh, the key to remembering things. So we'll go through it again. 206-666-GEEK is the number to call. And GEEK is... Four three three five, and uh, you, you may also want to email us. And uh, if you want to email us, uh, I'll repeat it once. Uh, if you're listening to this, premium at macgeekab.com. Did you Dave. say premium at macgeekab.com? I absolutely did say premium at macgeekab.com. Well, that's excellent. That's the right address to use. Uh, macgeekab is our Skype name. I went in yesterday actually and made sure that all the permissions on that were correct, and they are. Uh, and, of course, you can see the excellent show notes that John puts together at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, Michael Johnston is the host, no longer of the iPhone Alley podcast, the same podcast, new name, This Week in iPhone podcast. He sold his iPhone Alley website. Uh, he's transitioning out of that there. So uh, wow. This Week in iPhone podcast is the place to find him. Cashfly hosting at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com provides all the bandwidth to get this from us to you. And we do very much appreciate you uh, supporting us and joining us here in our in our premium uh, option. It's uh, it's been a whole lot of fun, and I know uh, John and I are having I'm having a blast doing the uh, the extra shows. It's been uh, it's been fun. We plan Absolutely. on keep doing it for a while. Uh, all right, that's it. Right, we're out of here, John. It's time to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Let's go home. Wait, I am home. Sort of. I can see my house from here. Yeah. No, I just got a USPS notification. I think my memory has arrived. So, oh, uh, dude. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun. And whatever you guys do, don't get caught. Made up.